spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans, for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy hump day. Welcome to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, joined by Jerry Aber and Man About Town Josh Jagno. Gentlemen, it is August the 18th, which, if I do the math correctly, we are 17 days away from kickoff. And the days are already getting shorter. You can see the sun starting to go down a little bit quicker. Every now and then you get a little wind is that, shift. Is that why I've been tired lately? It's almost fall, baby. It's almost fall. Is that why I've been tired? Oh, wait. I, no. I, felt, I, felt, I felt a breeze today. It was, uh, it was like a good preview of the fall. Coming. I know. It was nice. I know why I'm getting tired. It's because your boy's getting old. And about to get married. I mean, really. Oh. After that. Oh, it's just, yeah. You'll be sleeping too. by 630. welcome to the club (laughs) once again welcome to rage interview matt miguez jerry a bear josh jagno we have a phenomenal episode for you guys tonight um we're gonna we're gonna start talking about how the cajuns football program is ranked in the top 25 for the first preseason top 25 for the first time in program history uh, we're going to be joined in the second segment by Emery Hunt, who is the founder of footballgameplan.com and an analyst for CBS Sports, a former Cajun running back as well. You know, just a just a phenomenal interview. He talks about his playing days here at UL. He talks about the perception of our brand over the last couple of years as we've found success, all that and so much more. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, definitely stay tuned for that in the second segment. And then in the last segment, we have some some news to share with you guys that we think you'll be very excited about. I know we are, but you know let, let's let's have a couple of conversations real quick before we bring the listeners that interview. First and foremost, like I said, the the Cajuns are ranked in both preseason top twenty fives, the coaches and the AP polls, for the first time in program history. Uh, they come in at number twenty three in both polls. Um, COVID Carolina coming in at twenty two. Texas coming in at 21, hashtag horns down forever. And uh, the the lovely, lovely Louisiana State University of Agriculture and Mechanics in Baton Rouge comes in at number 16. You know, and I have no doubt that the Tigers will rebound from the year that they had last year. However, this this goes to at least from my perspective this goes to prove how biased towards the big guys college football has become i mean explain to me how lsu goes 5 and 5 in a shortened season doesn't really gain any big name actually loses a few doesn't know who their starting quarterback is going to be because you got one kid who's, you know, proven himself, in my opinion, and Max Johnson. But, you know, Miles Brennan with his broken 
body because everything's messed up on him. No, no offense to the young man, but he's, he's crutched up in, in his house signing NIL deals. Explain to me how that program is number 16 in the country. Well, it's the SEC, ESPN, SEC, whatever you want to call it. I mean, they don't have a quarterback. They have a new defensive coordinator. Their personnel is basically halfway flipped, and they get a top 25 ranking. I mean, it's ridiculous, man. It's just it's status quo for college football as a whole. I mean, they lean P5, and that's just how that, – that's the, that's the world we live in. But I'm not going to waste my time on that dump. I want to talk about our rankings. First time in the coaches' poll preseason, first time in the AP preseason – in the, in the grand scheme of it all, it means absolutely nothing. You haven't of earned course. anything, but it's great recognition for the program. It's a, it's, an, it's a feat. It's a huge accomplishment for everybody involved, everybody in the program, everybody in the administration. Um, so kudos to them. But if you would have told me I'd be sitting here at 23 to start the season going to Texas with a chance to win 10 years ago, uh, I would have taken it and been pretty damn excited about it. So it's been a pretty good week for the Raging Cajun program. Yeah, I think, you know, really the whole thing about why they're, you know, why the other teams, the other team to the East is ranked number 16. It's all about the brand. It's all about the brand. A lot of times you'll see schools that like Florida State, Miami, they always get the top 10 ranking, the top 15 ranking to start the season. And by week three or week four, they're talking about firing the coach because they have a one in three record, right? Uh, I think a lot of times the brand itself sells. Um, and it is what it is. You know, you're dealing with a school that just won a national title two years ago. They haven't had a losing season in a long time. So because of that, by default, uh, regardless of who's on the roster, you just, well, we'll just put them in the top 25 because they play in the SEC. It is what it is. Now, are they going to keep that ranking? We'll see. But as far as Louisiana goes, um, 23, I mean, that, that to me, I know some fans will be like, why, why weren't they higher? The way I look at it, look, First time ranked in the top 25 in history, school history. That's respect, man. And I want to say that in the preseason top 25, that's respect. Um, that's respect when you have a, as a G5 school that really hasn't had longevity of consistent success. Oh, no, no history but, of winning you know, whatsoever. Yeah, all of a sudden now you're, you're in the top 25. I mean, that, that's respect from the pundits. That's what the pundits think of us. And so not only are we, are, are we in the top 25, but we're Louisiana number 20 and in and, and the top 25. And so when you look at um, tweets and you look at all of these advertisements of these big, these so-called big games and the weekend of September 4th and number 21, Texas versus number 23, Louisiana is one of those games. That's you can't, you can't put a price tag on that type of marketing. You can't put a price tag on that type of brand. And so I think for us, um, you know, no, it really doesn't mean anything unless we make it something, but at the same time, that's perception of what these, these so-called, uh, these pundits think of, of us. And, and, you know, this isn't, these aren't people that are biased towards us. These aren't people that really probably don't even know us that well outside of the last few seasons, but to see what we've been able to do, it's, it's the leadership of what this program has now, uh, whether it's the coaching staff or the, the administrators, it's the leadership of, of um, within the locker room as well. I think all of this, these players are synced. And they, they know what their mission is. Um, I was told by a friend earlier this week, he heard through the grapevine, that they're working out so hard in the weight room that you would have thought they went six and six last yep. season. That's leadership. That's leadership. That, that's, the, that's the testament of, of a team that's hungry and says, you know what? Yeah, we're ranked 23, but 
not good enough, not good enough. We want more. And so when you have that type of motivation, that's when you're able to maintain that type of success. And it's, it's been fun. And as a fan who, who has been through the, uh, the best of times and the worst of times, I, I tell you, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure as hell enjoying the ride right now. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, Josh, you, you said it a couple of times during the Emory Hunt interview. If you look back just, just five years ago to where we are now, everybody would have laughed at you. This program five years ago was not built to be where we are now. Yeah, I mean, we'd found some success. We just had four consecutive New Orleans Bowls. But, you know, that seems, uh, and I don't want to downplay the New Orleans Bowl, but that seems almost minuscule now compared compared yeah. to what we've seen over the last couple of years. Like, we, we, we've kind of gotten greedy as, as a fan base because now we look at it like, who wants to go to the New Orleans Bowl? Well, look, those are stepping stones and they're going to be very important in our history. And if we can pull off what we think we can this year, they, look, that they will be integral parts of all of that. So it's definitely not a shot or downplaying the New Orleans Bowl, but I can tell you, if we hit our potential and we hit our ceiling this year, in the history books, yeah, there will be pretty big discrepancies between a couple of New Orleans Bowls and a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Go ahead, Jerry. Well, you have to start somewhere. You have to have a starting point. I remember the starting point, you know, less than 20 years ago was winning six games, going six and six, right? It's better than one and 10. And then after that, it's okay, let's go six and six and see if we become, we can win the conference, right? We go for a conference championship. Didn't quite get there, but we went eight and four and we got into a bowl game. Then we won the first bowl game. All right, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And now, you know, um, the past few years, we've played for conference championships. We, we unfortunately, by default, you know, have a share of the championship last year. But then, you know, on top of that, it's the top 25 ranking, something we've never had before. And so on top of that now is, okay, we want a top 25 ranking, but you know what? We want to be the ones to go to the New Year Six. And so eventually, like you said, Josh, it's a stepping stone. And, and it's been fun to enjoy the ride because for each time you, you reach a new step, you look beyond just what's in front of you and go, you know what, we can do better than this. And so, yeah, I think a New Orleans Bowl would be disappointing to most fans, which 10 years ago, I mean, you remember how ecstatic we were. They had a party, an invitation party at the indoor facility just to get the invite. And now we're saying, man, if we go to the New Orleans Bowl, something must have went wrong. Right. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the, that epitomizes success and, and, and expectations. So uh, I always tell my friends to the east, uh, east of the basin, I remember 1995, um, when, whenever the Tigers went to the Independence Bowl, they used to downplay, our, all their fans like to downplay the New Orleans Bowl. Well, when Curly Holman got to LSU in 1989, they had six straight losing seasons. And in 95, Jared DiNardo gets there. They go seven and four, I believe it was. Wasn't that great? They made it to the Independence Bowl against the Nick Saban coach Michigan State team, and the fan base was ecstatic. Now you say LSU goes to the Independence Bowl, they want to fire, they're going to fire the coach. Yeah, I was about to say, coach will be fired. Right. It's the same thing of perception with with us. And so I think, you know, eventually, um, you know, we're always going to want to do better. But in the meantime, let's enjoy the ride. Let's enjoy being fans and enjoy the success. But let's also have set the tone for expectations as well. Yeah, no, no question about it. Transitioning from football to softball, going to the softball diamond now. Uh, big news from Jerry Glasgow's staff today as they have hired a new pitching coach. 
And Cajun fans will be very familiar with the name of this young man, Mr. Justin Robichaux, the oldest son of the late, great Tony Robichaux. You know, guys, to me at least, this feels like a, a full circle moment for for the Robichaux family. Just to come from, you know, the success that Tony had here to everything that happened two years ago to now. It, it, it's just... You know, I kind of got emotional when I heard the news earlier today. It's just. I'm happy about it. I mean, of course, it's going to be, you know, hand in glove fit. So from what I understand, and I haven't been able to confirm this, but I think he's been giving private lessons at the, the cages for a while now uh, for, for softball pitchers. I don't know that for sure, but that's what I was told today. So uh, it might not necessarily be that big of a surprise in the softball circles around here. Right. But uh, but look, man, that's you, you want to keep the good ones in the family from from getting away. So hopefully he sticks and stays and he has a very long, successful career. here. Um, I'm just always happy when a Robo show gets a spot in leadership around the program. Yeah, it's it's great to see that you know Justin's following in his dad's footsteps. You know, um, I, sometimes it's 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 hard to leave it. You know, I mean, I know Justin, uh, he he still does coaching on the side, and then he did some other ventures here and there to make a living and and earn a living. And I think now that he's he's come back to the softball program, I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, and and it just goes to show you the the accolades and 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 what what the Robichaux family. Have, have how much they mean to this community. Um, you know, any, everywhere you go, anytime you're around baseball, you're going to see the number 36. It's very much present, but to see Justin come in and, and be able to fill that spot uh, for softball, uh, it, it just, it just fits. I mean, it's it, when I, when I saw it, I mean, it was, I was, I was excited for him, but then I was, I wasn't surprised. I think with, uh, Oh no, with, no surprise. It, it, no, I mean, with, with, with his, with his coaching abilities and, 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 and just the fact that he's always been around it, you know, even in spite of finding other careers in the yeah. meantime, it's, it's just great to see that, that th he's, he's stayed with that calling. And so um, to see coach Glasgow, even though it's not baseball, but softball to see coach Jerry Glasgow, a respected softball coach in his own realm, to be able to, for him to reach out to a guy like Justin and offer him a job a, yeah. to be a pitching coach, for sure. that means a lot. That, that's that's that that goes to show you how much respect he has for Justin and and what um what Justin can bring to the table being being on this staff. So um just a just a great great hire. Very excited as a, as a fan, and um, I, I'm sure Justin will do a great job in his new position. So congratulations to uh, to him and and uh, and the Robichaux family on that. Yeah, no doubt about it. One more thing we need to talk about before we move on to the Emory Hunt interview. Um, we'll do a little bit of uh, Cajuns and the pros if you will. Um, you know, last weekend was week one of the NFL preseason, and there are a bunch, for, for lack of better words, just a bunch of Cajuns in the NFL right now. You know, I was sitting there talking to my fiancé about all the different former Cajuns that are that are in the league, and she kind of looked at me like, wow, I didn't realize there, was, there were that many. I mean, Trey Regis, Elijah Mitchell, Raymond Calais, uh, Jamarcus Bradley, Deuce Wallace, Christian Ringo, Robert Hunt, Kevin Dodson. I mean, that's eight. And Elijah McGuire still hanging around with the Chiefs. So there's just off the top of my head, and there may be more, just off the top of my head, there's nine Cajuns in the league. Yeah, Matt, and I think every single Cajun that's trying to make a roster made first cut. 
Yeah. So they all made first keep mile. Seems yeah. like everybody's making a pretty decent impression. Yeah, I mean, so Trey, Trey Regis, Trey Regis scores the first, uh, the first touchdown in, um, in Allegiant stadium in front of fans. Uh, Raymond, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Raymond Calais had a couple of huge kick returns for the LA Rams. Um, Deuce Wallace had a couple of good moments in the Saints game, which was, God, that Saints game was atrocious. But you know, it's so amazing to watch him play in a Saints uniform, though, man. Right, right, and and isn't it kind of cool that he's a Cajun wearing thirty six? Yeah, I mean, di- different sport, but still. Yeah, I thought the same thing. You know, pretty cool. And, and Christian Ringo too. Yeah. Um, Christian yeah, Ringo is making an impact up front. I, I also, I'm not sure if you mentioned him, but Nick Ralston with the Cowboys. Oh yeah, um, Ralston. He Damn, might, I he forgot about Nick. Be, he might actually become the first string fullback. Like, Wait a second. The presence he's created. I just had I just had a legendary podcast episode idea. We're going to record a Zoom call. I mean, we, we record on Zoom every week, but we're actually going to record a Zoom call where we sit down together and watch an episode of Hard Knocks hmm. and see if we can find Nick Ralston. Or we can just get Ralston on the podcast. Or I mean, that too, that too that's, that's but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. His, his, his schedule seems to be a little, uh, a little busy. Yeah, we can, we can squeeze him in one night once training camp yeah. starts to wind he's, down a little bit. Listen, he's got an excellent opportunity to make that, uh, oh, yeah. that roster. And I think they're, yeah. they're starting fullback just got injured too. So. Right. Aren't they fearful that their fullback could miss the year? Yes. And the good thing is, is that he can kind of flex out to that, uh, to the tight end position. And I think that's what it gives. And he plays special teams. So he, he can do a couple of different things and that gives him the best chance. You know, anytime you're an undrafted free agent, you want to be able to do multiple things to help the team. Nick can do that. And he's tough as freaking nails. So he's got a great shot. Yeah, Nick's. Yeah, he's he's gonna do. He's gonna he's got a he's got a really good chance for and then, sure. And then I don't know if you guys saw, but did y'all see that one handed catch by Elijah McGuire? Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. Oh man. Yep. yep. Oh man, what a catch! So like like we said, plenty of of Cajuns in the pros. Uh, we we wish the best of luck to all of them, and we can't wait to see them in in a uniform so that we can we can buy their jerseys and hang them in the studio. Absolutely. That that would be awesome. But real quick, uh, just national Cajun news. Uh, a guy that we have shown love for feels like five years now, Percy Butler, is finally getting highlighted by somebody in the national media. Mr. Nagy of the Senior Bowl uh, put a, a great piece out on Percy. Go find it. I saw it on Twitter, but I'm sure it's all over the place. Go find it. Uh, really highlights the guy's character, his toughness. I've got it right here. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Tell them where it to says, find it. It says there's a few prospects that the Senior Bowl immediately likes based off their play style. And Raging Cajuns football DB Percy Butler is one of those guys. Innately physical and an aggressive free safety nickelback that flies down and throws his body around on special teams. The ball just finds him. Prototypical NFL free safety. He could play strong safety if they need him to. He needs to bulk up a little bit, but was also in the league, he will was also a 23-foot, 7-inch long jumper in high school. Yeah, dude. He's long. He's rangy. He has instincts. Yeah, Percy's, Percy's the man. Yeah. He's, he's definitely Louisiana's All-American. I'm glad to see him finally get some shine because he absolutely deserves it. He's changed the back end of that defense single-handedly. Yep. Yeah, that, that secondary is going to be freaky this year. But, Nasty. you know, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll discuss that in a, 
we have we have previews coming up in the in the coming days. Uh, we'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll give you that interview with Emory Hunt. And like we said, the third segment after that interview will bring you some exciting news from the Region Review realm. So don't go anywhere. Region Review will be back after this. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abair, Josh Jagno, and we are joined by a former Region Cajun and a well-known name in the football industry, the CEO, founder, whatever, whatever legendary, you know, upper-level title you want to give the man of football game plan. They call him the Czar of the Playbook, Mister Emery Hunt. Emery. First of all, thank you so much for joining us, man. How you doing this evening? Nah, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's it's awesome to be on the show and you know ready to reconnect, talking some raging Cajun football, man. It's definitely a good time to be a Cajun. Yeah, yeah, no no question about it. We're we're looking at a preseason top twenty five ranking for the first time in school history, <laughs> um, which is just you know I I kind of got chills just now even talking about it. So man, you know, let's just let's just dive right into it. Talk talk to us about the beginnings of you know football game plan, how how that kind of came to be and how it's grown into what it is today. You know, it's interesting, man. It's uh, you know, once I graduated college in 03, you know, I went back and coached high school ball in, in my old high school in, in New Orleans at McMain High School uh for a season. 
and then jumped into corporate America and was, you know, doing a corporate America thing. I, I had some opportunities to go and coach at the collegiate level, but, you know, I was still weighing my options and then Katrina hit and kind of forced me to reset and stick with the, the job that I was getting paid for. And, you know, that forced me to move uh, to New York City area and, 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 you know, so move out the South and, you know, you totally uproot your whole situation. So I'm still doing my thing with the company. I'm, I'm recruiting. I'm enjoying it. I'm good at it. But in the back of my mind, football was still something that it was eating at me. And I was like, well, how can I get back in the game? So there were some coaching opportunities out here that I that I want to apply for. But I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to coach. Um, but I do want to talk football. So in 07, I started footballgameplan.com while I was still working um, as a recruiter. And it would start to take off. Every year got better and better. And by the time 2012 hit, I was ready to jump you know, in full with both feet and, you know, go full fledged. And, and here we are today. It just has been amazing to see it grow from the, the initial thought to who, what it is today. Yeah. You know, I, I can, I can relate to that starting this podcast, you know, nearly four years ago to, to see the difference from where we were when we started to where we are now, you know, you, you spent some time at CBS sports, How'd that happen? Was that was that a direct involvement from relationships you made within football game plan? What's that experience like? You know, walk us through that. Yes, yeah, that's how it happened. Actually, before you know, I signed with CBS Sports. They had me on um, their their shows. They had a lot of different shows. They had uh, one big one that I was on every week was Cannell and Bell, which was Danny Cannell and Roger Bell. And they had me, on, had me on as a guest. Um, and I did so well. It was a short notice type deal. They had me on. Uh, somebody just hit me up randomly on Twitter and asked, could I be a guest on this, you know, show uh, Skype-wise for like, you know, in like 15 minutes. I was like, yeah, not a problem. So I jumped on, did it. I went to the gym. I came back. I had maybe like four emails and four DMs from the producers. Like, man, they loved you. They want you, to, they want you back on every week, every week at, Thursday at, at eight in the morning. I'm like, cool, that'll work for me. And so we were doing it for about a good two years. Um, and then they just like, you know what, man, you know, we, we've had you on a lot of our different shows. Uh, why don't we just make this thing official? So it all came through football game plan because they, some, someone saw a video I did, a video preview, uh, video breakdowns. They saw my draft work. They saw a lot of stuff that, that I was doing that was tied to football game plan. And that's how really I got my start, not only on CBS, but also with the color commentating I do with, you know, ESPN, ESPN3, ESPN Plus, all those streaming things. Um, it, uh, football game plan has been the foundation for everything that has grown uh, for me within this industry. So what's up, Emery? Jerry here. Um, I got to ask, man, you know, every time you, you give an interview or you're, you're talking about college football, uh, we notice your room uh, in the background. You have Cajun gear, in particular, you're one of your football jerseys. Um, how did that begin uh, with with uh, bringing, you know, bringing forth Cajun gear and then all of your uh, all of your interviews? You know, what, man, that's, that's a that's a great question. At first. It's funny how you uh, how you go about things and, you know, because you watch TV and you hear Michael Irvin and everyone that went to the University of Miami bring up to you. 
no matter un, un, no matter what the topic is, they're going to find a way to weave the U in there. Or you have someone that that went to Texas or uh, Florida State, you know, and they kind of weave it in there. And I used to always hate that until I got to the point where I said, man, if I'm ever on, I'm never going to, I got, I guess I can't do it. I got to make sure I stay neutral to not, you know, have people believe that I'm biased in what, one way or the other. And, um, but it was, you know, once you, when I got on CBS, it was, you know, they, they have, they was asking for uh, like, you know, how can you set up this way? Can you set up that way? And I just so happened to have my bookshelf, you know, with my helmet there. And you know, I have like a football game plan helmet. I have my Raging Cajun helmet and I still have uh, my high school helmet. So I just had the the football game plan helmet there. Um, and if you're, if you've seen the, the, the setup, sometimes it, you'll, you'll see my football game plan banner behind it. And so I was like, you know, let me put my football game plan helmet behind me to further, you know, uh, advertise my company. And so the, the one time I did it with the Cajuns helmet, then the next show I jumped on, I had the football game plan helmet behind me and a producer got on before we got on there. I was like, man, what happened to the, to the Raging Cajun helmet? Put it back there. I'm like, all right, cool. If that's what y'all going to want to see, that's what y'all going to get every time I'm on. And so um, it also coincided with, I forgot who the Cajuns played. Uh, I want to say it was like 2018, but, you know, they wanted to preview a Cajuns game. And, you know, we talked about it. And, you know, obviously they were talking about the Cajuns as if there was a school they never heard of. And um, Cajuns won or covered or something like that. The next day, you know, they became a thing. And then so, you know, it just kind of stuck like that way. And just I'm glad it happened the way it did, because now the Cajuns are a national brand. And I like to think I had a part in helping that brand grow nationally because my helmet was in the background of, of these videos. But in all in all seriousness, it's just it's been fun to represent uh, the, the university and my alma mater because so many other people it you guys know this. You guys are in this industry where. It's Syracuse for the broadcast majors. It's Miami for football players. You know, it's USC. It's, you know, Florida State. But there's a lot of good football and a lot of good universities. And I'm glad I'm able to represent where, I, where I'm from and, you know, where I matriculated and where I play right there uh, every time they see me on a video. Emery, that was possibly the best answer ever given on this podcast. <laughs> and listen, that is exactly what I wanted you to say. I mean, and look, as for people listening, we didn't have a ton of time before we started recording, so we didn't plan that. That was perfect. Uh, that's, I can that's tell you, this man, it's it's just it's like you know what, man. Not everybody went to Syracuse, Miami, or Florida State. We got some Cajuns out here, and it's good to see more and more, you know, Cajuns apparel. You know, I'm I've started to see. Uh, in the Northeast, with the, I've been up here since 2005. So I remember, not to cut you off, but I remember um, this was like 2007. I was in the airport. I went back to New Orleans to visit family, and I came. Uh, you know, I'm in a, I'm in Newark Airport. So I've you know, flown back, walking through the airport, and I see someone with a Cajuns, you know, you know, uh, three quarter zip up, you know, fleece. I'm like, whoa! You don't normally see that. I'm I'm the only raging Cajun in New York City, in New Jersey, in the Tri-State area. That, that is, uh, there's no way there's two. 
And then you slowly start to see more and more. And this was around the time when the bowl started, when, when Cajuns became a bowl team, you know, and, and became like synonymous with the New Orleans bowl and just winning bowl games. Uh, you start to see more and more Cajun apparel, you know, pop up around here. And now forget about it. No you kidding. Know, that's that's I, awesome. You know, and then the other thing is that you mentioned you played a small role in, in the brand exposure and the brand expanding. Listen, you absolutely did. I can tell you personal anecdote right here. The first time I, I started using the streaming TV, I got off a of cable or whatever. And one of the very first apps that I downloaded on to uh, Roku, which was a set top box thing I was using was CBS HQ. And you came on a segment. I, it, it caught me completely off guard. I, I had no idea what I was watching. And I saw that Cajun's helmet. And I, I, just, I watched, I stopped there. I had to know who this guy was and I've been a fan ever since. So don't sell yourself short. You absolutely have played a role in all this stuff. And, and I, I just wanted to add real quickly, Emory, I'm also from New Orleans. And as you know, in New Orleans, the only thing really sold down there is the Saints and LSU. And of course, the basketball, of course, the Pels. But, you know, I've noticed that my, my, my dad, uh, my parents still live there. And two days ago, uh, as recent as two days ago, uh, the newspaper down there had the preseason top 25 AP poll. And for the first time in a long, I think ever, because they always used to call us ULL, Louisiana Lafayette, UL Lafayette. It said LSU at number 16, UL at 23. And that never happens in New Orleans. And you know that, right? Um, I, I can't get over it either because even in New Orleans, I'm starting to see a lot more Cajuns gear being worn. And I guess that's what winning does, man. Yeah, it's funny you say it that way because that's what happens with the Saints. Because I'm glad you brought them up. Because growing up in New Orleans, I was one of the original Saints fans. And so, oh, me too. Yeah, me I'm too. Oh, about, oh, yeah. Like the first game I went to was in '87. It was a Rams Saints game. Jim Everett and those guys was the quarterback of the Rams. And I remember going through high school. You could legitimately go into the Superdome, no ticket, and get you a seat and watch the game because nobody was at the game. You can have, you, the games were blacked out on TV. So you had to, I, I became a big fan. That's how I got excited about this industry. I love Summerall and Madden, but I also really love uh, Jim Henderson. Um, yeah. yeah. He made you see it on the radio, how, how he described the game. He made you feel like he was watching it, right? And so that's why it was so frustrating to me in 2006, you know, post-Katrina, uh, Reggie Bush, rookie year, Sean Payton, first year, to see on Facebook all the people that you grew up with, all these diehard who that fans. Oh, Wait a minute, man! You you was a Washington football fan. You was a 49er fan. You didn't even like football, but now all y'all diehard Saints fans. So you're man. right. Winning, I call. I always call these people these since 2006. Ah. That's right. That's right. Driving up ticket Look, prices. Hey, exactly. Was, now you got to tell you can you can't even hey. get downtown. I remember, see, I'm like you, my parents have had season tickets since before I, I was born in 89. And my, you know, I, I went to the games during the Ditka years. I went to the games towards the end of the Dome Patrol era when Mora, before he resigned right. in 96, when like, I think one game had an attendance of like 28,000 people. Like nobody was at the game. I remember, you know, and, and I remember in elementary school, I would wear my Saints jacket and everybody would make fun of me because they had their Cowboys jackets. They had their 49ers yep. jackets. They had all, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Saints start winning and they threw their Cowboys jackets away and they put they, they're wearing black and gold now. I'm like, ah, okay. 
now you're a Saints fan, but you were making fun of me for having my Saints windbreaker during the uh, the Heath Shuler era. So I don't want to hear it anymore. You're, my dad I like, is that's a good point. line stepper in that regard. He calls me <laughs> up and was like, oh man, you know, I got to get, you know, I got to do this because the Saints play at, I'm like, bro, you, you was an Oiler fan. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? We got a game at four. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you even like the Saints. It was Houston for you. Like your your we, team's your team's non-existent. We exactly you know <laughs> your your team doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> right? It's it's, it's uh, so hilarious, man. It's, so I, I always so I'm not surprised that we have a lot of because and here's the other part too, and this is and this ties all it all back together on how you know this stuff starts to formulate. Um, I remember my freshman year in, in college, we uh, I had a, a marketing teacher. And he had a he had his he had a tailgate outside of you know Cajun Field, and so this was a this was a class. So I had a, it was a night class, and so he was giving. Um, he told the class, "I'm gonna give you guys extra credit if you come check in for the home. It was homecoming. He was if you come check in for homecoming, um, get something to eat. I'll give you guys an A for the for the for the you know for this thing because you're showing school pride." And I'm I'm sitting there like, man, that's that's dope for the teacher to do that, right? Uh, so they had this dude in the class that raised his hand and was like, what, what, what time are you going to be out there? And the, the teacher thinking like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'm going to be out there. I get out there like, you know, maybe like four. Now the homecoming game was from like 730. I believe we played UL Monroe that year. And the guy, he was like, why are you coming? Why why you want to? He's like, oh, because I want to come early um, because I got tickets to LSU homecoming that night. And the teacher like, well, damn. And, and, and his sentiment was, the way everybody else thought, like more people went to Southern games, went to LSU games. No one went to the Cajuns game. And also you go to the Walmart right there, uh, down, I forgot what the main street is. You go to the Walmart, all the racks got LSU shirts. You couldn't find UL shirts in the local Walmarts, nothing. And so now I guarantee, I hadn't been to Lafayette since, uh, my nephew graduated in two. My my, I'm sorry. My youngest sister graduated. My nephew graduated t- there too. My youngest sister graduated there. I want to say in oh eight or oh nine, maybe ten, and that was the last time I was back there. And it's like, man, is UL down in Lafayette? You know, but back then it was LSU down. You know, and it was all LSU, no UL stuff, even in Lafayette. But now. I, it's just been funny to see the transformation of the diehard Cajun fans now. It it has changed, and I live I live in Midtown, still do. I have for fifteen years. I'm telling you, man, it's completely different. Uh, it, it's it's wonderful. You know, when I was in school, I was on the back end of the campaign that had the shirts that said uh, "Support the Cajuns or Move to Baton Rouge," which <laughs> I thought changed everything. I mean, I thought that that was the spearhead of all of the difference in the opinion of all the athletic teams around here, even the pride that you had in the academics, the pride that you had in the school to the, I mean, to, this, to this day, I still want one of those shirts. I still have one. I found one in the attic. I have two of them actually. I, I want one, but, but no, but I mean, that goes to show you, it takes a long period of time to really turn the tide. It really helps when you have people in leadership positions like Maggard and T Joe. And a lot of that has to do with that leadership. But 
to get back to the team, because I can go on a rant about branding and marketing and the saints in particular, but uh, I wanted to ask Emory if, uh, you know, what, what was your relationship like while you were playing ball here? And uh, what is it like now? Are you, are you still pretty plugged in? Do they reach out to you pretty often? What's that like? I, I love my time at UL. It was cut short due to injury. Uh, but the time I was there, I loved it. I mean, you talk about a running back room that had, you know, Elvis Joseph, who went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, played in the NFL. Ike Taylor, who, you know, is a fantastic uh, success story on position switching, you know, playing with the Steelers, gets drafted. You have future football media mogul analysts, myself sitting there. You have future <laughs> head football coach of St. Charles Catholic High School, Wayne Stein. Wayne Stein, there. yeah. So you got all kind of talent in that room. But um, in all seriousness, it, it was it was a great time. I think that was the most um, that was the turning point for the program because it, it kind of I thought the one thing Baldwin did really well at that time, the recruiting was where it needed to be. And I thought that set the foundation for which Bustle came in and, and started to, to kill it even more so in a positive direction. And then you had Huspeth come in, build on top of what Bustle built, and then so on and so forth with Napier now and, and taking this thing into a different stratosphere. So I thought the Baldwin years may not have had the success on the field, but definitely set the foundation for what we're seeing now. And that, I think that that era deserves credit. Because we had to talk a lot of talent. We just didn't win. Um, but it was fun. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just saying it was, it was a fun time. And, um, you know, I, I've always been connected to the program because one thing I love about UL is that, the you know, it's a community. And, I you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, rest in peace to Big Lynn, who was a fixture of the yeah. program. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, a lot of my guys are still there. You know, uh, Darren Walker is has built a, a fantastic media department out there, UL. Then you have, you know, Coach Wingert is still there. You know what I'm saying? He's a, a UL lifer. That's my dude. And Dr. Wingerter now. Doctor, Doctor, Dr. Dr. Wingerter. Wingerter. He was there right. so long they just gave him a PhD. <laughs> Dr. Coach Wingert is my dude. And and you know, just that's what I loved about the program. It's a family affair. It feels like it felt like big high school and not a not a negative way. And so it kind of, it yields itself for you to always be connected to the program because it feels like you are part of something. You know what I'm saying? I feel like if you went to Texas or, you know, Florida State, if you weren't, you know, Ward Dunn or uh, Ricky Williams, then the program kind of leaves you. But I feel as UL, if you was, you know, nobody like me, you know, the program, you you were part of the program and, and, and he, the, the love is reciprocated uh, to, to one another. And that's why I think that's a special place. I, I find it funny because whenever you, so you, you played during the Jerry Baldwin era. Did you, did you play when Ricky Bustle came in in 2002? No, I was, I was injured that time. By that time I was okay. done with, I was done. I was, I was actually uh, helping out in the, in the video room. So, so my dad and I used to go to all the games during that time. You probably mm-hmm. saw some little kid on the sideline. That was me. Uh, and and <laughs> it was, it was weird because you, you said a mouthful when you said like, you guys had a lot of talent, but for some reason, and it was the weirdest thing. We would play teams that even, even like FCS schools, we'd lose to, but oh, then yeah. on paper, we were always better. Like I remember the game. Do you remember the game against Tulane 2000? 
Tulane came in and yeah, and then we missed all the field goals. Missed the field goals, should have won the game. Then you had, <laughs> you know, Texas, uh, North Texas came in, got in the red zone like three or four times, couldn't get in the end zone, lost. You know, and and, and just games like that just added on. And I'm looking back at it, and I'm just like, you know, I look at the talent, Peanut Tillman, and you said Ike Taylor, yourself, uh, Marcus Woolridge, uh, Elvis Joseph, Darren Brister. I mean, so many guys that had so much talent, but just couldn't put it together. Let me ask you, what was it? What what was the missing piece in your mind back then that couldn't get us over that hump? I think simply put, we didn't know how to win. Um, and and you're right, Brister was a tremendous tailback. And I and yeah. that's not one of my guys, man. You know, Brister was Brister was like a good leader of the room. You know what I'm saying? He was a leader of the running back room. Um and you know, you had uh, Mark Lemire was an offensive lineman that, that had NFL scouts there. You had, uh, you had uh, Danny Scott, who had a cup of coffee with the San Francisco 49ers uh, at defensive end. Willie Robinson, you know, had some camp NFL camp trials or went over overseas to Europe and started over there. Actually ended up meeting his wife and coaching over, over there. Now he's coming back to the States this year to be the linebackers coach at Georgetown. Um, you had Brad Franklin get drafted by yeah, Carolina. quarterback. You know, so I remember him. Yep. We had so much talent. De'Anthony Baptiste, um, you know, was a tight end when he came in. They moved in the offensive lineman, so he was an athletic offensive lineman. Ended up playing in the NFL for a long time, in the CFL for a long time. Might even be a CFL Hall of Famer too. Fred, Fred Stan. You know, yep. Donovan Morgan, an AFL Hall of Famer. Fred's going to be just got his jersey retired in Edmonton. So and you see what I mean? You see yeah. what I mean? Like that, that, that's, that's crazy. And then you that's look awesome. at the records. I didn't even know that. You look at Ike Taylor. Ike Taylor wasn't even a cornerback. Remember he played, he was a running back and he running was a back. third string running back. I'll never forget. And it's a, I know we got a long way to go. I gotta say, I gotta say this New Mexico state, 2001 senior day. Uh, they decided to play Ike at running back. And I'll never forget. He turned the corner on our side. And I mean, just, I'm talking 20 yards up the field my dad looking at me going, son, who's that guy? And Ike was a third string running back. And I'm like, who, how, how is this possible? And then I know coach Bustle saw how fast he was. So he's like, look, man, we got to get you on the field and moved him to cornerback. But all these names you mentioned, I'm just, how on earth, like, did we get this talent and just couldn't. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, and, and it really, that, that mindset of winning has, has, has evolved over time. I remember during some of Bustle's teams, a lot of talent. They just didn't know how to win. And I think now you're seeing, you know, a, a totally different attitude that is adjusted and that is evolved where you're looking at, you know, Napier's teams, they're not going to Texas hoping to keep it within 10 points. They're going to Texas expecting to win. Like they're like, we're going to win. There's no questions. We're going to win. It's funny. You bring up Texas. Cause it was my sophomore year. We go to Texas and we're up 10, nothing at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, uh, two Texas. We, we punt the ball to down the ball at the one yard line. So they they yanked Chris Sims out the out the game because he he threw the pick six to my my dude T Hunter Terrence Hunter. Um, and so you know we're up ten nothing against I think Texas. I forgot Texas was ranked like fifteenth or something like that. Maybe tenth. They were um, top ten team. Yeah, yeah, they were top ten team. And we we up ten nothing, and they got to go ninety nine yards down the ball at the one. First play, he threw a pass. I, I believe it was to Sloan Thomas, the tight end, uh, Roy Williams to the 50, 
and then the next pass was a, the 47 yard touchdown. I was like, damn, in two plays, touchdown, and then we lose 52 10. So we, we, it was that I thought that encapsulated what our whole time was there. It was like, man, we, we have enough talent to where we're up 10 nothing against a top 10 team, but because we don't know how to win, we end up losing that game. And, and so I remember we, this was maybe it was my junior year we played uh, Arizona State. And I'm standing right next to Ike on the sideline. And he's like, he's like, man, I, I need to, I need to go in and go score. And so and I was like, like, I know we we, you know, we we down, like we down like 20 something, you know. But coach finally threw him in the game, threw him uh, you know, it was a toss sweep, 49 yards down the sideline, touchdown. It's like, yo, why, why is this sitting on the side, you know? Not in the game, you know, but you know that's that's just how it was. But the talent was never an issue. The the and I think Bustle did a great job of instilling the how to win part because he came from Virginia Tech and and got the mindset change. And then Huspit was able to push that forward. And you see where we are now with with Billy Napier. So I th- I just think to answer your question, long you know, long answer short, we just didn't know how to win. And so now we know how to win um, and a talent just continues to be the talent. And I think that's why we're seeing what we're seeing uh, from the last 10 years with this program. Chatting with Emory Hunt from CBS Sports and Football Game Plan. Emory, you know, being being that you played for the Cajuns in the late 90s, early 2000s, coming from where we were back then, the the facilities, the way they were, the respect or lack thereof of of the program to where we are now top 25 a 15 million dollar gift to renovate the stadium new facilities in the last decade that are state-of-the-art you know how do you feel when you look back on it oh man i feel i feel i feel you know like honored and and grateful that i was able to play for a program i remember going to my sister's graduation um and coming up the same road that I used to take to get to the practice field. And I look to my left, I'm like, cause you know that the uh, Cajun dome is on the right. I look to my left, I'm like, oh, that must be the new parking deck. And my nephew was like, no, that's an indoor facility. I'm like, indoor what? And you know, we got an indoor facility. You mean, you tell me like, I could have saved two shades of my complexion if we had this one, when, when I play like, you know, from playing that <laughs> South Louisiana heat, you know what I'm saying? Like these dudes got indoor facility with air conditioning turf. Um, but to see it now, to see everything, all the improvements that they have from the naming rights, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, to, to the stadium, to uh, how they reconfigure to add more seats. That right there in and of itself was ridiculous. Because again, you talking about a, I remember my the end of my freshman year, we played Wofford. They had to have at least 613 people in the stands. So for them to go from that to adding more seats on the hill, um, you know, to close off that one side where you're coming from the tunnel, like, man, we, we've grown to the part where we're, we're adding seats to this stadium. That's dope. And to see everything that we're seeing now, um, you know, from the, the on-field stuff, to the national exposure, to how uh, the you know, the recruiting has has you know been what it was or what it is, and just everything around the program, man, is just it's just dope. And, and it is now that everybody not only is in love with raging Cajun football, but you're starting to see the national conversation 
finally about our softball team, about, you know, our track and field team, about our volleyball team. Girls basketball was always dope. And those programs are now getting the, the, the spotlight along with baseball that has always been stellar um, and, and basketball that has been stellar as well. So I am glad that we're seeing um, the entire athletics program benefit from the exposure of a winning football program. And that just shows you how important football is at a university. You know, one thing about having, you know, they call it the bus driver, right? Football success drives the bus and that's great and everything, but you got to have resources. And this, this administration has been able to give the resources to Napier and Maggard that, you know, Jerry Baldwin didn't get, you know, uh, Bustle didn't get, and to a certain extent, HUD didn't even get. So, you know, we've been able to hire assistants that are nationally recognized and nationally sought after. We've had to replace a few guys this year. Uh, last year, we replaced Ron Roberts, who I thought was an unsung hero on this football team and his staff. Uh, he went to Baylor. Patrick Tony comes in, does an incredible job. He decides, hey, look, let's hang our nuts all over ISU. We're going we're gonna to play man against Brock Purdy, a, uh, a Heisman candidate. And then at the end of the season, he literally was in, in some head coaching conversations, rumors, whatever you want to call them. Do you hear Patrick Tony's name come up uh, in the circles nationally, maybe on the Northeast, uh, upper Northeast? Does, does that, is he a real name, a real rising star in the business? Absolutely. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, Tony has been around for a while, you know, and you know, I think people need to understand how good he was at, uh, you know, Texas, San Antonio, you know, he had them on, you know, on the map as well. So for me, it's like, all right, this dude has been good at everywhere he's been. He was at Southeastern Louisiana, you know, when they, you know, that was a fairly new program and they had them, he had them like dominant on defense. So yeah. And if you're able to have that success and now you're turning in all Americans and also, you know, NFL players, your name will get, you know, talked about a lot. I mean, I just think that, you know, I'm glad Napier was able to stay. I know, uh, it's been cool to see, you know, Coach Sale out here at Giants camp. You know, uh, that's been awesome to see. That's I got to pause you right there. Is as an assistant coach for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns is coaching the New York Giants. I mean, if you say that out loud five years ago, people laugh at you. People laugh at you. And, and it's, it's not the only one, too, because Quiet has kept my receivers coaches out here as well. Ty Tobert, he's a receivers coach for the New York Giants. So clearly there's a pattern there. Now, granted, he went to, he'd been coaching the NFL for a long time, but he coached at UL uh, when I was there. And he's a fan, probably the best receivers coach in football. So yeah, we're starting to see the Cajuns coaching uh, tree and name get out there. And Tony, knock on wood, is, you know, granted, granted, I I don't want to say, I hope he stays. I do hope he gets that bag and be a head coach somewhere. Selfishly, I hope he stays because uh, I know the, the you know the uh, the program is going to be better for. Because you're right, Ron Roberts was great last year. Unsung hire um, was from Southeast Louisiana, but Tony has just been a dog everywhere he's gone. I I've always been a fan of his coaching style. Now look, he messed up and married a Lafayette girl, so. We got that'll a pretty good chance. Yeah, man. Gotta keep that greedy greed putting the food there, man. It'll keep All right. that, man. All right, Emery, let's do this. Put on your unbiased 
national analyst hat. What is your opinion of the Cajuns roster? And is it is it top 25 worthy? Absolutely. And here's here's why. Um, point of attack play. They return all 22 starters, right? You know, or close to it, but I say damn near all 22 starters. And last year they were good up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So all those guys return. And if in college football, if you are able to win up front in any football, quite honestly, NFL and pro uh, college, you're able to win up front on both sides, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, 100, 140 career starts among our offensive line. So that, that right there tells you that this group, super senior-wise, they have the they have the continuity, which is king, and they have the 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 physical skill. You combine that with great quarterback play, you know, and not to knock anybody, um, but Levi Lewis may be the best quarterback we've had there. Uh, he's a true point guard at the position. Uh, he's someone that that is out there just directing traffic, and he knows how to take off when he needs to. You saw that evident in that Appalachian State game when. Offense was sputtering. Uh, he didn't want to get back to fourth down because the ball was going to go back to Lafayette, snapping over um, the punter's head. So he took over that game and just decided, you know, I'm just take off and just put it in my own hands. You know, he 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 did so against Coast Carolina, right? And so I think when you have a, a point guard like that at the position, strong on both sides line of scrimmage, it allowed what you had last year on a perimeter in terms of receivers and corners, you know, to to really work themselves into to viable options. So now they come into this season more experienced and more confident in what they bring to the table. Yes, this is a top 25 team. And last year, I thought, uh, yeah, I, I still feel like they got slighted this year. Because last year, you talk about what a top 15 team um, in the nation. And now because everybody just expects teams to, you know, fall back into place after COVID, like how dare you rank LSU uh, Louisiana State University at a And M over us. You know what yes, I'm saying? Like, yes. how, how dare you do that? Um, uh, so, <laughs> you know, I think uh, certain teams. I look at the top twenty-five in both polls. I'm like, you know what? First of all, how is Iowa State in the conversation for being a top ten team? Um, and then, you know, you have I get the appeal of LSU, but you still got they have quarterback questions. Number one. Um, so I have defense, a new defense. And yep. there are serious issues there. So I have questions about LSU, Iowa State, Texas. I feel as though it's one-dimensional. Um, so I just think that the Cajuns definitely are a top 15 team going into the season. He he pulled out the A&M, ladies and gentlemen. Love it. Oh, like, my oh, God. Like I, love, alum I, love, I love taking shots at those because uh, it's normally it's – two, it's two people. Uh, Louisiana Tech care less about what we do, right? Um but it's always UL Monroe and LSU uh, fans and, and administrators that come at us for saying University of Louisiana. So if LSU wants to play that game and we want to go by what, what we have on our birth certificate, let's call LSU exactly what LSU is. You know, let's yep. call the whole name. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that this year. I'm on you are TV. not wrong, sir. It's so petty, man. It really is how they worry about us. Like, really? You know, you got so much. I mean, you've had a century to grow your program and your brand, and yet you're worried about what we do. You not, know, not, not, to mention, like, not to mention they have their own off-the-field issues. Yeah, a lot of that, too. 
Learn from Tulane. Like Tulane just be chilling, man. Tulane just be sitting in the cup, <laughs> relaxing, chilling. It's always UL Monroe and yeah. LSU. La Tech just be chilling. If anybody have any yeah. you know, legitimate beef, it's usually La Tech or even Quiet as Kept McNeese. But those two don't even compare to the amount of petty that LSU and uh, UL Monroe have for our name change. We've been trying to educate the masses, so that's very much appreciated. And you know what? It's people like you in the media that call us Louisiana and the fact that the name's been pretty much adopted on a national scale that really they can complain all they want. There's nothing they can do about it. It still shows up on the scoreboard. It shows up on the ESPN score ticker. It shows up in people's on team schedules. So keep fighting the good fight on the national brand. And Marie, it's, uh, it seems to be working pretty well. I will say you got to call us Louisiana. I know that. That's right. Texas, Texas is doing it too. <laughs> Your daddy. <laughs> so, so really, real quickly, uh, Emory, moving on to uh, Austin, Texas. We got the Texas Longhorns. Uh, we traveled down to Austin September 4th. You know, Texas, they, they, the Tom Herman project pretty much didn't work out. Steve Sarkeesian comes in. Uh, look, Texas has, they got a lot of question marks. I know they have a lot of distractions with the whole, going to the SEC in 2025 along with Oklahoma, but also they're replacing Sam Mellinger, who really established a name for himself over the past few years. Um, and it looks like they, you know, lately over the past few days, uh, Sarkeesian has said that he really doesn't know who he wants to start at quarterback because neither one has really impressed him. I know that they do have some talent at the position, but there's a lot of question marks going in there. Um, with what you've seen with Texas, uh, what are your expectations for the Texas Longhorns? Uh, obviously, they are the Texas Longhorns, so I'm sure they have some decent talent. But we've all, we've seen them blow it a few times too. Uh, talk about the Texas Longhorns. What your expectations are, and and what do you expect uh, September 4th when the Cajuns go into Austin and, uh, and face this team? You know, it's an interesting matchup because Texas does have. Um, you know, I think their offensive line is going to be underrated this year. Uh, yeah, I know they lose Cosme to the draft, and you know he's with Washington right now. But their offensive line, I think, will still be really good. And they also have one of my best uh, uh, prospects in the country. And even though he's, I don't think he's draft eligible, but he's one of my favorite running backs to watch. And Bijan Robinson, man, like this dude can. It doesn't look like he's supposed to be fast, but you rarely see him get caught from behind. The kid's unreal. And, yeah, he is ridiculous. So. And I kind of like the way the quarterback Thompson played in the bowl game against Colorado. I think I thought it was just a foregone conclusion. That's going to be the guy, you know, and I think that's the way they should go because uh, that right there adds a different dynamic to it. I thought his confidence level was was increasing as he went on in that Colorado game. Um, defensively is where you, you may have some questions because they lose a lot on the back end uh, to the draft in the secondary. You know, they lose Taquan Graham, who's now in the NFL. Um, they they lost Asai, you know, who's now in the NFL. So they have some holes to fill. And if I'm the Cajuns, I'm worried about the Cajuns being able to stop the run. That's an area where they have to really boss up and, and take care of business. Because to be honest, um, that cost, cost them that game against Coastal Carolina. They couldn't get off the field on third downs. Um, and Coast Carolina's offensive line is about my height. You know, you talk about 5'9", 225, and they were just stonewalling, you know, the Cajuns right there at the point of attack. And, and you know, you don't want to look at football like transitive property. Um, if they did it, then they should be able to do it. But if the Cajuns are going to pull off the upset, 
is going to have to be able to make Texas beat you throwing a football. Cajuns match up well on the perimeter. Uh, their DBs can match up against these receivers, Texas. You know they're going to be breaking in a, a new quarterback. Um, can the Cajuns find a pass rush? And you hope someone like Chauncey Manack can do that because that's someone that seems to find his way into the backfield. And can they limit B. John Robinson? They can't allow him to get to the corner. If they do, and Texas has a two-way go, it could be a problem. So that's the biggest focus for me. So that's why I do think this is a great matchup. Um, we saw them do a good job against Brees Hall, who's a another top-tier tailback uh, NFL prospect in the in a, in a draft class. Um, so if if they could learn from how they were able, and Iowa State's offensive line is nothing to sneeze at, especially when you add in those big tight ends that they use as well. Um, I think Texas has better quarterbacks. Uh, than Iowa State. And I haven't even seen Texas quarterback play. I just know Brock Purdy just doesn't have the arm to really threaten you in the passing game. You can make plays on his passes. And we saw that play out in the Cajuns game. We saw that play out in the Big 12 championship game. And we saw that play out in the Fiesta Bowl. So I think Thompson for Texas should be the guy they should go with. Um, and when you combine that with B. John Robinson, their offense should be just fine. So I, I do think the biggest matchup for the Cajuns will be up front. Uh, and making Texas beat them throwing a football instead of letting Bijan Robinson have a field day. Would you say ideally, and, and I think that's basically what I was about to say as far as matchups go, is the Cajuns front seven against the Texas run game. But if the Cajuns are able to stop the run, would you say that gives the Cajuns a, a more really, like th- does the chances for Cajuns win go up dramatically for that? Would you say if they're able to stop the Texas run? Because I feel like Texas, uh, I don't really know. We don't really know much about their passing game. I mean, Thompson himself is a very mobile quarterback, but he really hasn't shown much with his arm. He just runs. So it, would you say that if the Cajuns can stop, hold Texas to so many, so much yardage on the ground that they have a legitimate chance to win? Does it increase a lot more? Absolutely. I would say the magic number is about 110. You can't let Bijan Robinson get to 110 or over 110. Um, if that's the case, man, they have a really good chance of pulling off the upset because on the flip side, Texas's defense has to contain, you know, the 11 on 11 attack that they're going to see from Louisiana. You talk about Levi Lewis, you know, you, the Cajuns have a fast back in Chris Smith in the backfield, but Levi Lewis makes that whole thing go. And if you allow him to escape, create and extend, you're going to be on the field and a defense that has to work itself into game shape um, <clears throat> and dealing with a, you know, a mobile quarterback like that, that can find guys downfield and, and has the accuracy to do so. That's the problem. So I do think if they, if the Cajuns defense can, you know, limit B. John Robinson, not give up those explosive plays and still about three possessions away, then their, their chances of winning that game you know, just grows exponentially. You know, talking about Texas, you brought up Joseph Asai going to the the NFL draft. A lot of people haven't realized this yet, but they will very soon. His little brother, KC, is currently on the Cajuns roster. (laughs) So, you know, kind of a family connection in Austin in a couple of weeks. You know, Emory, one thing, we're, we're talking about the game against Texas, and obviously that's going to be the topic of conversation in Acadiana up until kickoff and hopefully long, long after that. What can a victory do for this program going forward? You know, national respect, maybe even a potential talk of conference realignment in the next couple of years. Beating Texas think, in Austin, what can that do for this program? 
then that means Oklahoma and Louisiana goes into the SEC and we go ahead on and just put Texas in the Sun Belt. You know, that <laughs> just, should just that switch places. Yeah. Uh, we're playing for the SEC. Uh, we're playing. We're playing for admittance into the SEC. Um, but in all seriousness, I just think that Louisiana has a chance to be the new Boise State. You know, and I think that's the that's what's on the line. You beat Iowa State. You got everybody's attention. You beat Texas. You know, you beat an SEC team, um, and now you got everybody's you know attention. You, I mean, quite has kept the Cajuns have. We've beaten Kansas State. Beat Iowa State. Now we beat Texas. That that tells that that could, you know, tell the nation that this is a program that is a sleeping giant. It's the one that you want to go into um, a bigger conference. And but the problem is you're going to start to have that North Dakota State effect. That now no one will want to schedule Louisiana because man, they could beat you. No one wants to schedule Boise State anymore. You know, uh, and and you see that. Now with, with teams that tend to to prop up and, and, and you know beat these teams, so I think you know, increasing the brand uh, is definitely on the line here. So so take off your Cajuns glasses for one second. Put your media cap back on, okay? As a media guy, right now, how many people in sports media are licking their chops? Possibly not, and and not necessarily hoping for a possible Louisiana win and Texas loss. Just to talk with all of the talk we've talked about with Texas going to the SEC, how many pundits are just waiting to pounce on Texas that following Monday morning on on Monday morning uh, uh, talk? You know, because I, I just feel like with everything going on right now, with the whole conversation of Texas and Oklahoma, I think people, I wouldn't be surprised if there's people waiting for a Texas slip up. And I think the Cajuns give that chance pretty high. And it's, it's, it's sad for Texas if that happens because the NFL doesn't kick off until Thursday, September 9th. So, you know, you got – if they lose that game, man, the, we those have, articles are already written. We, They're already written. We you have know, five so days of publicity. Exactly. Because what that, else that, will there be to talk about? Nothing else because it's going to be – because you know everyone's waiting. To, as fast as they put up Texas's back when they beat somebody, when they lose, especially lose this game – you got five days of talk, and these articles are already written. They're going to use, yeah, right. You're going to see them do the, the horns down thing. They're going to make fun of that. They're going to ask us if Sark is a job. They're going to ask if Texas is worthy of being the SEC. And I, I kind of hate it because it's going to be less about the Cajuns being a great program and more so about how Texas is not. Texas is falling apart, right? No, exactly. You know, so. Although I want the Cajuns to win, I don't want it to be at the expense of them not talking about, well, what's wrong with Texas? No, let's talk about what's up with Louisiana, you know? That's why we got to dominate the game. You know, Texas football is to the NCAA what Tim Tebow is to the NFL. As soon as he makes a decent block, he's the greatest thing that ever. He's back, baby. He's back. He's the greatest thing. How, how did you let this guy get out of the league? And as soon as he rolls over when he tries to, you know, when they try to run a trap, and he falls and misses an assignment, he's out, he's out of the league. And everybody wants to trash him. So, you know, I agree. That's a good point, Emory. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't want uh, – I know the media will love – a lot of media, quite honestly, are, are leaning toward picking occasions to win that game. You know, a lot of people are – and that's another byproduct of 
changing the narrative to where you're, um, you know, people now expect you to win. You showed them last year by beating Iowa State. So people are now like, man, the Cajuns got a legitimate shot to win this game. And so I like seeing that talk. Um, and I just know it's going to get ratcheted up uh, once we get uh, closer to the game. Matter of fact, next week, you know, once once I start jumping on CBS Sports HQ to start talking about this game, previewing this game, it's going to start getting ratcheted up because we're going to get outrageous um, in terms of, you know, the 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 talk about this this matchup and how how this is an even matchup. This is not a David versus Goliath. This is, you know, Tyson Holyfield. Anyone. I like it. You we need to you send know, you a couple of we need to send you a couple of region review stickers. I was I was just about to say that. Too. I was just about to say that. Before you dive into the Vegas Emory, we're gonna get your address, man, and I'll I'll send you a, a big region review sticker and you can put it by your helmet when you when you jump on CBS Sports. I'll do that for you guys. I'll I'll look out for you guys for that. You're the man, Emory. Hey, listen, it's been awesome. I know we kept you a while. This is the grand finale, baby. Let's talk some Vegas. The line opened at 14. I think it was 14. A couple of shops, it was 14 and a half, but it was 14 down to nine and a half. I figured it would probably settle in a single digit. I think that nine is probably right. Maybe eight and a half. Where do you fall on that? I see the over unders 59. I think that's going to go up a little bit. Um, Tell me what you think about the numbers. Uh, I'm looking at odd shark right now, which I mean, honestly, it's, it's all right, but typically, you know, they, they run that, that uh, that simulation that gives you the prediction the prediction of the score and they've got the Cajuns winning the game by five so you know that's some interesting numbers what do you think yeah when when it first came out and it was fourteen I was like oh this is disrespectful jump on that number it's free money. right away yeah that's easy money um, and now it's is nine you know I, I still think that's pretty high man for a lot of unknown uh, I agree you know, so and the Cajuns people. Also underestimate, and this is what helped them come back and ultimately win that game against Iowa State. Cajuns got great special teams. So offense, defense, special teams, you got to be in tune to, to play all 60 minutes because of what they bring to the table. So I would still say this is going to be a one-possession game. So that nine number is still too high for me. So I would definitely say Cajuns in the points easily. And at fifty nine, what do you think? You think that's going to go up? And do you what would you take? Would you take over or under fifty nine? Nah, I see week one being like a defense, defensive, you know, slugfest early on, then chaos happens in the late third into the fourth quarter, like most college football games do. Um, so I probably would stay away from the over under. Um, too fickle in the first week. Uh, you know, I just think we'll see low scoring game, and then all of a sudden a shootout breaks out in a third, late third, fourth quarter to where, you know, you're going to be sweating that number at over-under. I'm always sweating when I play those games, man. But look, there you have it. The czar of the playbook has spoken. So, Emory Hunt, man, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, appreciate you, uh, you hanging out and talking some Cajun football with us. Hope you enjoy, you know, working like a dog during football season. And uh, who, who knows, maybe we'll get you on when, when you have some downtime later on in the year. Now, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always fun to talk Cajuns, uh, Cajuns history, man. And, and I, I'm glad you guys are doing the great work that you are uh, promoting the good word about, you know, uh, the pride of Acadiana down there in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. We appreciate you, Emory. Thanks a lot, man.
Thanks, Emery. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Emery. And there he goes, Emery Hunt. We will take a break, and when we come back on Rage and Review, we'll wrap up this interview and share some fantastic, groundbreaking news that the Rage and Review has to share with you. We'll do that and more on the back half of this break right here on Rage and Review. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Rage and Review one last time. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, man about town, Josh Jagno. God, man, that was that was a fun interview with Emery Hunt. That was one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Oh, no, no question about it. I mean, talk, talking to a guy that has reached that level of, you know, notoriety, I guess I would be the word. In, in sports journalism, sports broadcasting. Yeah, and, and is, honestly, really did it himself. Yeah, exactly. Hard work, it, it, it was hard a grassroots project, you know, that he just worked his ass off for. I mean, that's that's fantastic. You got to love that. And, you know, in the interview, he, he talked about coming to Lafayette for his nephew's graduation. His nephew is Norman Locke. Oh, really? On, really? on, on ESPN 1420. Didn't so, I uh, you know, sports radio must be in the blood. Cool. But yeah, but yeah. You know, again, what, what were you guys' thoughts on the interview? Um, you know, let's just talk about it. I'll I'll start. I had there's a few things that he said that really stood out. And first of all, he mentioned how the Cajuns match up with Texas on the perimeter. I wonder how many people remember that we started last season with cluster injuries at the wide receiver core. At the wide receiver unit. We didn't know what we, we were gonna do. We literally went in with true freshmen and, and walk-ons catching footballs. And not and only did those guys it. yeah, no not, not only did those guys grow up and perform and, and do a more than a serviceable job. I mean, we went in and beat Iowa State with 
I, what was it? Seven injuries to the top seven receivers that we had on the roster. It was something crazy. Yeah, something, something like that. You know, I know Pete caught a big pass, but outside of that, you had a guy seeing live bullets for the first time. So, and then you look this year, we've got a few transfers in. We were healthy. We have the experience of last year. We have the confidence of last year. Um, oh, yeah. You know, plenty of been, has been said about Levi kind of be, being down, and, and, you know, at certain times and in certain areas in the passing game. I think if Levi's going to pop in a really big way, he has all the ingredients and all the tools right in front of him because, listen, there's a ton of talent in that wide receiver room. Yep. And I'll say, I'll take it a step further. Johnny Lumpkin at tight end yep. is going to be a, he's going to be a force this year. Some that's, people, that's for sure. some people might call what I'm about to say a hot take. Levi Lewis throws for 3000 yards this year. That's not a hot take. I think he does. I, I don't, I don't think he has a problem. Doing he, he's going to throw for 3000 yards this year. With, with the weaponry he's got at the receiving core, I think the best thing that could have happened last year were, and, and not look, I'm not trying to say it's a, a good thing, but some of those players getting injured and giving guys like Dante Fleming. Oh Rogers, yeah. Jr., we realized, those, we realized what we had. Guys, more, more play experience. Look, there's two or three receivers last year who were on the scout team before the season think started about, who think had about to come this. in and step up. Think about this. Dante Fleming, Kyron Lacey, Errol Rogers Jr., Peter LeBlanc, Jamal Bell. That's your top five receivers. And I really didn't even get into the nitty-gritty of the wide receiver room. Those those are your five big big dogs. I mean, just And they all they all have experience now. <laughs> if you're if you're Levi Lewis, you have to be sitting in position meetings just licking your damn chops. And some of those well, guys looked incredible in the spring game. Like Errol Rogers is going to pop. Fleming is a real, he's a real deal. Uh, the transfer from TCU Stevenson, he's huge. He's rangy. He's athletic. Uh, yeah, Stevens Jr. Peter, Peter LeBlanc. Yeah, Stevens Jr. Uh, Peter LeBlanc wasn't not healthy like one snap last year. He, and he was still productive. Right. You know, and we, there are people we're not even mentioning. Look at Devin Pauly coming off of special teams to catch big passes. Two big fourth downs that I can remember last year. You know, We've got talent and experience up and down the, the lineup at wide receiver. So if, if Levi's going to have a year, it's going to be this year, and he has all the tools. And look, I'm telling you, if we're going to get to where we want to go this year, he has to throw for 3,000 yards. So that's great. That, all those things are good things. Yeah, no, no question about and, it. And, and I also think, with, you know, as good as Levi is, I think he's only going to get better. I mean, look, there were some, some games earlier in the season last year where he struggled, but he improved as the season went on. And we've talked about it many times. I felt that the games, that the more he started trusting his receivers and the more they, they started to kind of let him use his feet more and let him roll out and run and not be as afraid right. of him to not get out the pocket. He, he looked completely different from the first few games. Um, I think this season he can – basically play the entire year like he did those last six games because he's got the weapons, he's got the offensive line. And yes, even though they're replaced, we're replacing both Vegas and Mitchell, you still have enough running back depth that'll be good enough to solidify just him being able to kind of do what he wants in a, in a disciplined way. So I think it's only going to get better for him. Um, and, and really, I think that he's got a really good chance to, to have, you know, with a senior year, to have the best season he's had in a Cajun uniform. I agree with all that. And two real quick things that Emory said that stood out, and then I'll go to Jerry. Uh, you know, I love that he calls LSU LSU A&M because that's their name. Oh, man, that was hilarious. And I hope he says it on the air, and that's awesome. And then the other thing is that, you know, sometimes when you change perception in a pretty quick way, 
which is what has happened here. You kind of forget about all the minutia and the slog that it took to get there because you're just enjoying the good times. It's really good to get perspective from a guy, guy that lived it, that played ball, that, that went through a few changes and, and was plugged into, you know, going from Jerry to Bustle and, you know, being around to see the Hudspeth era. You know, one thing he said about Bustle was that, you know, he taught him how to win. I've, I've always felt like Bustle taught the players how to believe in themselves and learn how to win. And I also think that HUD kind of taught the fans in the community how to win and how to believe in themselves. And when you put those two things together, that's the, the real core of the foundation that Napier had to build on. So you, we can't forget about those formative years. And when you think about the program and what it is now, those 10 ish years between Jerry and bustle and into the beginning of the HUD era, man, they're so critical and it's good to go back and revisit that. Yeah, I have to piggyback on that, Josh, because that was one of my points that I really got out of this conversation. I enjoy talking to people like that who played on those teams, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, look, from 1997 to 2001 or 2002, the combined record for Louisiana football was something like nine and 46. OK, when Jake DeLome and, 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 and you know, all, Damon Mason and these guys left in 96 from 97 to 2001. I mean, nine and 46. Think about that. Three or four of those losses, North Alabama, Sam Houston State, Jacksonville State, Northwestern State twice, by the way. And Emory was on some of those teams. And so that was one of my questions for him was, what was it? Because you had talent. You had a lot of guys that wouldn't play in the NFL and they just couldn't get over the hump. But it's like he said, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but it's about attitude. You don't know how to win. It doesn't matter. And so to hear his story and to hear how, how far we've come, I, you know, look right now, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I went to those games. I sat in there while wow, when LSU was 45 minutes down the road, beating number one in Florida in 1997, that was the same night we lost to North Alabama. I sat in there. I, I, I sat through those four overtimes and watched us lose to a division two team. I remember watching us lose to Jacksonville state in a rainy senior day in 2000 in front of 3000 fans. You know, you look back at those days, but then you appreciate today looking at the AP poll, number 23 in the country, we've, I mean, th that's the first thing I look back on. I look back at those days and just realize how far have we come, you know, and, and to see the commitment to see Dr. Savoy, Dr. Maggard and everybody in the community finally say enough's enough. We got to show some commitment to this program to see the fact that we have our lady of Lords sponsoring our football stadium when nobody wanted to be around there for a long time to see the indoor facility, like Emory said, to see, just to see the evolution of UL football in the past 20 years, it's, it's unbelievable. And to see it all kind of come together, that's what makes this such a, a worthwhile trip. And, and it's only going to get better. Um, so that, that's one thing that stuck out to me. Another thing that stuck out to me is the fact that he's bringing the brand nationally. He's using his national stature uh, in, in sports media to be able to talk about UL football, to have his jersey in the back, to talk about the Cajuns, to have an appreciation as an alum, like he talked about with Michael Irvin being at Miami and all these other guys, Deion Sanders showing love for Florida State and, and all these media people at Syracuse. It's nice to see Emory show love for UL and, and to put that on a national on a national scale. And, 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 and he gets to enjoy the ride. He gets to enjoy the ride right now with the success because, like I said, he played on teams that went one in 10, two and nine, right? And now as an alum and, and seeing, seeing where he's gotten and has gone in his career, he gets to enjoy that ride with us as not only a former player, but now a national sports pundit talking about the success of Louisiana football. Me being the young guy of the group, I don't remember 2000s Cajun football. 
I was a little toddler causing, you, causing you see, hell. You see what happened to ULM last year going 0 and 10? Right. Very similar. No, dude, the earliest heartbreak, <laughs> the earliest similar. heartbreak that I can vividly remember of Cajuns football is that 07 game to McNeese. Oh, I was on the field for that game as a student manager. So I, I the 07 game at McNeese well. is yeah. probably the earliest heartbreak I can remember for, uh, for got, Cajuns football. We got our redemption in 16 when we beat him again. So yeah. uh, I was at that game too. I, I have a crazy amount of stories from the student section of that night against McNeese. Nice. Um, beers getting spilled on people and all kinds. It was a good time. Anyways. <laughs> So let's, before we wrap this episode up, let, let's dive into some monumental breaking news you know, episodes that we have coming up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, for starters, next Monday, August 23rd, we are going to be sitting down with the editor in chief of the athletic college football, Mr. Stuart Mandel. Formerly of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, formerly of Sports Illustrated. If you if you listen to this podcast, if you follow Louisiana football at all, you know who Stuart Mandel is. Um, if you've read Sports Illustrated, you know who Stuart Mandel is. Uh, so this is a, a huge opportunity for us to just continue growing on what we've built so far. Next Wednesday, this is the one that I'm really, really, really excited about. We are going to be live and in living color all three of us at chops mid city smokehouse on south college um you know ryan and tracy have been generous enough to let us invade their space for a couple hours next week to uh to bring you guys a show live and we intend on it being one of the best ones yet so if you don't have any plans next wednesday night from six to eight ish come out to chops on South college get the best barbecue in town and come hang out with the region review guys. It'll be fun. Even if you have plans, cancel the plans. You knew you have new plans. Now Yeah, you have priorities, have a couple of drinks with us. We'll talk some sports. We'll of course we'll talk Texas. We'll talk a few anecdotal stories from the coastal mess last year. Cause uh, Ryan and Tracy made a, a, an empty trip out there. So she, I know they both have a couple of stories, but that is going to be a lot of fun next Wednesday, six o'clock sharp. We haven't decided we're going to be on the patio or if we're going to be in the bar area, but probably leaning towards the patio. If we can get, you know, 50, 60, 70 people or so. If we can get mother nature to cooperate also. Right. Uh, We'll have some rage and review stickers to give away with the new Acadian flag logo. We'll have some koozies to give away all that good stuff. So once again, Chopsman city smokehouse on South college next Wednesday, Six o'clock, be there, be square. And the week of the Texas game, we're going to do a behind enemy lines segment. We've got the guys from Longhorn Republic, the SB Nation, Texas podcast. They're going to join us to do behind enemy lines, as well as Kyle Umlang, which if you go on Twitter and you have been paying attention to the Louisiana-Texas rivalry lately. You know who he is. Uh, So he'll be joining us as well. But also look out for August 30th, the following Monday, Cole Kublik of ESPN 
He was the sideline reporter for the Louisiana-Iowa State game last year. He will be joining us to do a season preview for the Cajuns, talk about that game against Texas, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about his time at ESPN. So that'll be a fun interview as well. So like I said, plenty of crazy things happening in the in the Rage and Review circle, and uh, we're excited to bring it to you. I'm excited to do it, man. Uh, last year was fun to get off the ground and get rolling, you know, in this direction. But this year has been a little bit of a whirlwind going into Texas. So um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm very excited. And, I mean, Matt has DM'd the entire national media. So hey. we'll, probably be, <laughs> we'll probably be, you know, announcing different shooters. Shooters got to shoot, right? Hey, look, you, you, can't and, make it, you can't make the shots you don't take, right? So, and I mean, go ahead. When, when, I, when I played basketball, that's all I did. Set in the corner, shoot threes. Yes, sir. And it's also a it's it's also a testament of of um, not to pat ourselves on the back, but just the fact that how you know, awesome we are. Well, you said it, but but also the success of Louisiana football, Louisiana sports. I mean, That's how great. they've evolved, and and you know, people want to talk about us. I like, mean, they do. Like like uh, like Dickie V. We're awesome, baby. We're capital A. What's Dickie like? One <laughs> fifteen now. How is that guy still alive? <laughs> Dickie V, one of my idols. Love that man. <laughs> and that's going to do it for another edition of Rage Interview. We appreciate Emory Hunt joining us as always. Gentlemen, appreciate you guys joining. And, uh, man, just one one day closer to, uh, to some Cajuns football. Absolutely. Um, I am so excited. Like I said, catch us at Chops next week. And uh, stay tuned for... The latest and greatest on social media. As always, go Cajuns. Tell them, Owie.